Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Thank you, it's wonderful to be here. It's really, really exciting. My name is Gabe. If we have not met, uh, I'm married to Fiona, who is a wonderful wife, besides the fact that she uh, has banned me from Coke. But besides that, she's wonderful. And uh, we have an 18-month-old daughter, um, and she's a beautiful ginger, just like me, and uh, we're so in love with her as well, which is beautiful. I use that word quite uh, often for myself as well. But it's a huge privilege to be here this evening. We are, as Mark mentioned, we are in week two of a series called The Advancing Gospel. And this series, if you're unaware, it's uh, emphasizing and bringing clarity to the heart of our church, the heart of those who follow Christ, and ultimately the heart of God for humanity. And if you're wanting to know what this, this short series is all about, the words are on your right, over there, that have been perfectly highlighted for you. It's reach far, raise up, release wide. So why don't we say that all together? One, two, three, everybody, go! Brilliant, brilliant. Sunday night, eh? this is the, the time to get awake and alive. This is so exciting. And without further ado, we would also love to give out a free gift to everybody at this moment. How's that? It's like the Oprah show. Are we ready? Yes, no? We ready for the gifts? Here we go. So the gifts are coming around. These are little something that we're going to give you tonight that you can put on your wrist. And these are little things that will remind you of those three things because we are praying. Uh, if you've already got one, you can put it right back in or, or take one for a friend. But uh, otherwise... These are things that we want to emphasize and put deep in our hearts, not just words that are on a wall, but we pray that there'll be something that actually, as we preach the series together, will remind us of what God is doing. If you weren't here last week, Mark uh, Van Pester did an excellent job on week one on Reach Far. It's available on our website to listen to or on our YouTube channel to go watch if you're more inclined that way. But he put some statements in our hearts that we believe are really key and worthwhile emphasizing again. Mark mentioned to us that we are people who give up things we love for the things he loves more. We'll give up our preference. We'll give up our comfort for the things that beat in God's heart. And more than that, actually, he went on and said, it's not what it costs, but it's what it's worth. And this was profound. I don't know if you remember, if you were here last week, Mark used the, the story of the, 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 the Thai soccer team, the 12 young boys and their coach who stopped the FIFA, who overshone, outshone the FIFA World Cup. Um, when their story broke, the news broke of these 12 young guys, their coach, who were four kilometers underneath the, the mountain in the cave, and they'd been blocked in there because of the water. And this rescue mission went out, this incredible extravagant rescue mission that captured the world's attention as millions were spent, as Elon Musk got involved, and as, as, as millions were spent, and even a life was lost on this all-out mission. And as we watched, as our eyes could not be taken away from the screen, no one, no one was heard saying, ooh, that's a lot of money being spent. Why? Because when something's that important, it's not what it costs, it's what it's worth. And we felt, as Mark has been mentioning last week, that this is so key for us as a life changes people, but ultimately as, as Christ followers, because we are saying, we believe that in John 3.16, we hear the scripture that declares that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Not his leftovers, not the things that he was keeping in, in spare, not something that, oh, I think I can do without that. No, he gave his only son, the very best of heaven for humanity. And he gave, him, he gave Jesus when we were lost, when we were broken. The scripture even says when we were dead in our sins, when we were enemies of Christ. 
He gave His Son towards us. And we're saying that the only response of a church to a cross that is with arms open to humanity is that actually allow that gospel to get deep in our hearts and to explode our little T-Rex arms, as Mark said. Our T-Rex arms that cover and, and keep us secluded, sanitized, and safe, and saying, God, would you explode us that we would be a people that reflect your heart. And that's who we are. We want a people who reach far beyond ourselves, and that's what we really believe we're called to do. So this this evening, I want to push us forward onto week two, raise up. And I want to say, at this juncture, why don't we raise up? Why don't we rise up to our feet? Let's stand, everybody. We're going to read scripture as we do here from time to time. And it's from Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 to 22. But everyone listen to the sound while you do it. Not as amazing as I thought, but let me just quickly have a sip. Oh, here we go. Oh, here we go. Matthew chapter 4. It's on the screen. If you're wondering why we stand here, live stream, we stand because when we read Scripture, this is to remind us that actually it's not just me preaching. It's us leaning in together to the Word of God. So Matthew 4 verse 18 to 22 says this. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Let's pray at this moment. Father, I thank you this evening. I thank you with such excitement of heart that because of you, our futures are greater than our past. I thank you, God, in this moment that you have more than just the status quo for every single one of us. I pray this evening, right now, tonight, God, in this moment, would you encourage those who feel hidden or forgotten? Would your word cover and love those who feel exposed and ashamed? And would you pursue those who feel far and disconnected? And I pray, God, would you, the preaching of your word, awaken every heart to the great call in Christ Jesus that you have for us. And Father, I also thank you that Brighton are beating Manchester United as we speak. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Why don't you take a seat this evening? It's really good to be in church. If we have not met or you have not heard the story that I regale everyone with, I met my wife Fiona, the the pride and joy in my life. I met her in this very building on the right-hand side on an evening like this. I met my wife here at church, and it's an incredible place. If you are single, this is a great place to meet somebody. Just a a little thought. It's a freebie to throw out there. But um, as I've often mentioned, as soon as I walked into church tonight, my eyes met her, and not a word of a lie, I fell head over heels in love with Fiona. It was from that. I didn't need to hear her say one word. I was in love. As soon as I saw her, it was almost like my, my eyes went fuzzy, and I just, I just, there's nothing else that mattered in the room. And the, the, the song started playing in my head. Why do birds suddenly appear every time you are near? And I was there, and I just was, I was out of that moment. I was just taken to a different place because I was starting to picture our wedding. I was then picturing our, our six wild ginger-haired children in the future. Yes, six, I'm prophesying right now. And uh, I pictured there uh, myself and her at our holiday home on the beach, and I was riding bareback on a horse with my long flowing red locks just flowing in the wind, wearing Factor 50 all over as, well, of course, there's some reality to this dream. But from this moment, I remember as I, as I came to and I realized that with all this in my heart, these excitement and possible possibilities of, a, of dreams that were in the future with this girl, I, the reality hit that actually I had not even spoken a word to her yet. I had this future and there was this, 
the present reality in the moment. And I thought there's something that has to happen in between this. So I, because of there's some perks to being a pastor and I've got friends who can help me out in this, in this regard. Um, and maybe just because people felt bad for me because I've been single for so long. People got me her number. I hardly had spoken to her yet, but I had her number. And I remember that, that following day, the Monday, uh, processing what I was going to do with this. Because I thought, I, I need to put my best foot forward. I need to send her a WhatsApp message that's going to get her attention. You know, you go, I've got, you've only got one go at that first WhatsApp message. You know, you know what I'm talking about. You've only got one go. So I remember I crafted this out. And I thought, what am I going with? I went, hi, Fiona. Oh, it doesn't come off quite cool, you know. So I went a little bit more formal. H- hello, Fiona. No, hello, Hey there. No, it's just, it's just, you know, you have to work this out. So you have to really nestle down into what you want to say out to, the, for, to Fiona in this message. And as I started to craft this message, um, I started to realize that I used way too many emoticons. So I had to delete those because let me just, this, this is a freebie as well. One emoticon per SMS. Can we do that? Is that okay? Agreed, everyone? Thank you very much. Just let's not go liberal with those things. Come on. One per message. Anyway, I digress because as I started to write this, I, I ran it by a friend. I said, how's that sound? He says, Gabe, you're coming off like a bit of a stalker. So I had to change the language a little bit. And it was really helpful to get outside perspective. And as I, as I was doing this, I got, as I got the message written and just right, I needed to process it. But I took a step back and I looked at it. I was nervous. I was nervous. But I then I did what any farmer would do in that moment. I decided with courage that actually if I wanted to see a fo- future that I was uncertain at best, if I was going to give it any chance to come right, I had to sow that seed and press send. Then I stepped back and I waited. Very chuffed with myself. And then I waited. Then an hour went by and I waited. I went to bed at night and I waited some more. I woke up in the morning and eagerly looked at my phone and the, the fear gripped my heart because the two ticks had turned blue. But there was still no reply from Fiona. So you start processing. So I start, you know, in those moments, you're sending messages to friends saying, is, is my phone working? You're hoping something is not working here. But as, as the fear started to grip and go, oh, my word, I've messed up my one chance at this. You know what? I suddenly looked up and I suddenly looked at my phone. I saw the three greatest words a ginger who looks like me could ever hope to see. Fiona is typing. I want to tell you this evening. That, that this evening, what I wanted to teach this, this evening is for the next 20 minutes or so, is I want to teach you something that all farmers know, something that all investors know, something that all parents know, and something definitely that all gingers who are desperate for a wife know, is that if you want something to grow, you have to first sow. If you're wanting something to grow, you have to first sow. So tonight, I'm saying it's time to sow, it's time to grow, it's for us to become all that God has called us to be. So before I preach this evening, three points out of the text we read, can you turn to somebody around you? I know we hate doing this, but let's try it one more time. Say to them, it's time to grow. It's wonderful, I see some shaking going on, that's brilliant. Now turn to the other person and say, so it's time to sow. Come on, brilliant, I love it. Really, really good to be together. Three points this evening of things that we, postures we need to take if we're going to sow, grow, and become all that God has called us to be. Number one, it'll be on the screen. It's really hard to preach drinking Coke. Wow. Took my breath away. (laughs) Number one is lean in. Lean in. As we look at the scripture, the scripture that we read, the first word that the incarnate, incarnation of, of God himself in humanity, the word becoming flesh, Jesus Christ, as he came onto this land called earth, and as he walked along the beachfront, the first word out of his mouth 
to, to these 12 young guys, these young men who are lining up to possibly join his team, his spiritual team, the first word out of his mouth was not, where have you been, guys? The first word out of his mouth was not, can I see your spiritual CV? I'm trying to collect the best of the best who are going to take on my church to the ends of the earth. No, he didn't say that either. The first words out of his mouth were not, how long has it been since your last sin? No, no, he didn't do anything of the kind, no audit like that. The first words out of Jesus' mouth to these guys was, come. The first words out of Jesus' mouth, as we read the scripture, we realize the first engagement of these young guys was, come. He gives them an invitation to lean in and press into the very source of life. I love that because Jesus walks past the unlikely. He walks past the excluded and the seemingly disqualified, and he says to them, come. I love this because we've said this so often that actually Jesus is not looking for the qualified. He's looking for the available. He's looking for the willing. And in the very first, in the get-go, Jesus takes off all restrictions. He takes off all excuses. And he says to a bunch of boys who potentially would have been disqualified by the system of the day. And he says to them, you guys, come. And they go, who, us? Us? He says, no, yeah, you guys, come, follow me. And it's this incredible understanding in this moment, Jesus gave them an option right there in that moment that these guys had to make a decision. Will we lean into our disqualification? Will we lean into what we know and what is safe for us? Or will we respond in faith and lean into his invitation? Jesus gives this invitation to the people. But you know what? Too often I find myself saying it and too often I've heard other people say it. They say this thing, I I want to press into God. I want to lean more into what he's got for me but I'm waiting or even praying for this thing called breakthrough. I don't know if you've ever heard someone say that. I'm just waiting for a breakthrough. Now, I want to just just demystify this thing because people say, I'm waiting for a breakthrough. I'm going to, once I overcome sin, this this one particular sin, then I'm going to press in. Once my finances come in line, then I'm going to press in. Once uh, once I get that job that I'm longing for, once my boss lets me leave home early so I've got some more time on my hand, then I'll press in. You know what? The problem, though, when we say, I'm waiting for breakthrough, the truth of the matter as we read the scriptures is that actually breakthrough has happened. Breakthrough is not a season. It's not a prayer that's waiting to be answered. Breakthrough is a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has come from heaven, and he has broken through your, pre- your pain. He's broken through your past. He's broken through your prejudice. He's broken through everything that's held you back. And he has declared as he died his death on the cross, once and for all, it says the heavens were torn open, and he declared open gates for all of humanity to run in. And that all of heaven basically was declaring, as Jesus broke through for you and I, heaven was declaring, come all who are thirsty, come to me. This is the great news of the gospel for you and I this evening. And Jesus wasn't saying something brand new. Actually, he was echoing what has been in God's heart forever. So much so that actually in the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, the book of beginnings, or what one Jewish scholar actually called the book of sowing seeds. The book of Genesis opens with the scene not of a moralistic pursuit, not a, not a whole list of to-dos, not a contract between, uh, between God and Adam. No, it doesn't start with any of that type of language. The Bible's first page of God's inter- heaven's interaction with humanity opens up with the man Adam lying helpless in the dirt, made out of, fashioned out of the very hands of Almighty God. And Almighty God, Yahweh, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of all things, bent down over in the dust of the earth, breathing his life into Adam. 
The very first face that Adam saw was not of a God far off, not with a, with a frown on his face, not with a measuring stick, not with a, a book of rules. But the first face that humanity saw of heaven was of a father, a lover, a king, breathing his life into humanity and saying, come alive. This is the heart of God for you and I. You know what? This is the problem, though, is that I want to help us this evening, is that maturity isn't doing time in church. Maturity or growth doesn't just happen by just being around church. So much so that I love to say this, that maybe we need to start, we need to quit blaming the soil for our lack of growth and start sowing some seed. Let me explain that. Maybe we need to start quitting, we need to quit blaming the soil, the, the soil being the season we're in. I can't grow because of the season I'm in. Maybe we need to stop blaming the soil, my boss, my family situation, my leaders who are not opening doors for me, or my failures for my lack of growth, and actually just start sowing some seed. You know what, here at Life Changes, discipleship starts not with a program, a course, or a track, but begins by calling you and I to lean into Jesus. This is the call of the gospel, and we are not cleverer than the gospel. Jesus starts off with this invitation to all of humanity, come. And he's saying it to you and I afresh tonight. We believe this so much because actually as we read scripture, we believe that the only way to true authority and true influence for Jesus, true authority, true influence on this, in this world called earth, is actually through intimacy with God. The only way, intimacy leads to influence. And we're told there's only that way. So much so, as we read about these disciples who respond to Jesus' invitation. He said, come. As they respond to him, as they lean into him, their futures change. And these young guys who seemingly have been disregarded by society. In Acts chapter 4, we read about this. The Jewish leaders of the day are so perplexed by these young guys. Why? Because they're saying they have turned the city upside down. With the, the gospel of Jesus. They've turned the city upside down. They're causing chaos in the city. They're having more authority than anyone has ever seen spiritually. And it says this thing. This is their, this is their, their, their diagnosis of these guys. They say they are ordinary. They are unschooled. But they've been with Jesus. That would seem to be the only thing that was getting them the authority and the influence of that day. They were ordinary. They were unschooled. And this puts such joy in my heart. Why are there any ordinary people here this morning? This evening? Are there any unschooled people here? Uh, you're like, I went, I went to high school. In the things of God, often I feel that way. Let me tell you, if you're ordinary unschooled, can I tell you there's an offer here that you don't have to be discounted. God has got more for you if you respond to his invitation tonight. I want to tell you this, and it's so exciting this evening, is that because I know this firsthand when I was when I came here at Life Changes about nine years ago, I came and, uh, and after about a year and a half of being here, the man Wally Gersma was leading the church at the time. He saw a future for me that was bigger than I probably could have seen at that time. And he said, Gabe, at the age of 22, I want to bring you onto eldership here. And I thought, that sounds great. And I was expecting a standing ovation, you know, the slow clap, people. We've always wanted a redhead elder here. Didn't go quite that way. Now I want to say, maybe I'm, I don't want to overestimate the moment. A lot of people are very encouraging, very supportive. We've got a very kind church, but actually, the, the enemy loves to sometimes uh, amplify the naysaying voice, amplify the voice that wants to disqualify. And maybe my ears just were tuned into those too too easily. And people are going, "He's too young. He hasn't even been to Bible college. This guy, who's he? Where's his wife? Come on, what's a 22 year old whippersnapper going to do here?" 
And I started to hear those words, unqualified, unqualified, ordinary, unschooled, unqualified. And I remember sitting in my car as I thought, I, 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 what am I doing here, God? And the very next week I was down to preach. And as I was processing this, I remember thinking, the next week's preach has to be good. I've got to show these guys. I've got to learn some Hebrew and Greek words because they'll get the Christians going. Now, that'll prove it. I need to quote C.S. Lewis and Charles Spurgeon, even a little bit of the reformer Martin Luther, just to really let them know that I know my stuff. And as I was contemplating this, I sat in my car outside a garage, a Cecil garage, if you're wanting to know. And as I sat there, I, as I was engaging with God, I felt God's voice to speak to me. And, and, and he said, as, as, as he does, not in an audible way, but just to, and quietly to my spirit, he said, he said Gab, you, you are an ordinary young man. I was like, wow, Lord, that's not a one that's going to be on the fridge one day. But thank you. He said, you, yes, you are unschooled. It's like, Lord, this conversation is not going as a, well as I hoped. But with confidence, he said, Gab, but you've been with me. You know me. That is the stamp of approval on your life. That is the authority I've given you. Walk in the calling that's opening to you. And I, and I say that not as any uh, boast about myself, but I, I say it as actually a, a boast about who Jesus is to encourage us. Because when I've laid hands on sick people and seen them get better, it wasn't because of my skill or study. I want to tell you, when I've preached and people have come into freedom, it's not because of my oratory gift. I tell you with confidence today, if you want authority, if you want influence, sow the seed, lean wholeheartedly into Jesus. How, how do we unpack this? Every time we come to worship on a Sunday morning or Sunday evening, every time we sing and you've had a terrible weekend or you've got a week stretching ahead that you're already stressing about, but actually everyone starts to sing and you're saying, actually, I'm going to deny my flesh and that just wants to sit at the back and with arms folded. I'm going to engage. I'm going to worship. I'm going to sing to you, Jesus. You are sowing seed. When you wake up early in the morning and your bed is so warm and everything inside you wants to stay in the bed because it's still dark, it's still dark here in Cape Town, but you get up and open your Bible and you read anyway, and no one's ever going to know, no one's going to ask you what you read that day, but you read anyway. Can I tell you, you are sowing seed. When you have a panic attack, when you're anxious at work and everything inside of you wants to go to the root that you always do to cope, to manage, but instead you say, God, you shoot up a silent prayer to him and say, God, I need you in this moment. I'm choosing to lean into you. You are sowing seed, sir, ma'am. We are sowing seed in those moments and actually God is calling us to be people who lean into him. His offer is there every day and he says this, no matter where you've been, no matter how far you've fallen, come to me. Number one, lean in. Secondly, he says, step out. He says, come, follow me. Now, I want to tell you, when a rabbi calling you, when a rabbi comes past and he calls you, it, it wasn't him sending out a spiritual save the date. Like, see if you're available. Two weeks time. I hope that's okay for you guys. Think it over. Or, or one of those awkward Facebook pokes. Because you're not too sure what to do with this. Must I reply? I don't know what to do with that thing anymore. It's quite weird. Do people still do that? Remember the days we used to throw a sheep at somebody on Facebook? What is that? Anyway, it's not one of those things. It's not one of those things. This is not a, a suggestion. When a rabbi came and says, follow me, it demanded an immediate response. This wasn't to be worked out. It wasn't now the disciples to sit and go, Jesus, I know the way you said follow me there, but can you tell us what the ESV version of that phrase would mean? No, no, no. Can you, can you just break it down into the hermeneutics and, and the, of, of the phrase, Jesus? No, no, there wasn't a discussion. Jesus said, follow me. They demanded a response. I love What I love about the disciples, or the future disciples, their response was this. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Now from that, I've learned three things about obedience that I want to help us this evening. Number one about obedience. True obedience, it'll be on the screen behind me, is immediate. 
So I want to ask you a question. How long is the delay before you obey? How long is the delay before you obey? I say it this way, a great example is that this, this is hypothetical, no names mentioned, it no, might not be me or it might be somebody else, but uh, let's say there's a wife who speaks to her husband on a Tuesday night and says, love, why don't you take the rubbish bins outside tonight because tomorrow is bin day and you don't want to get up early and you might miss the, the rubbish tr- truck, so why don't you do it now? I'm lying, uh, hypothetical situation, could be anyone, could be anyone. Stick with me, guys, please. It's a Sunday night. Hypothetical situation. The guy is lying on the couch and he goes, yes, love, great idea. Changes the channel and says, I'll get to it later. The next morning, wake up, warm bed. Going, you know what? I really should get down and do that rubbish because the wife is still sleeping. And she'll never know. She'll think I did it last night. So you sneak out of bed. Mission Impossible theme song comes on. You start leopard crawling out because you don't want to wake her up. She needs to know that you did it last night. Yeah? This is hypothetical. Could be anyone. And, I, and, and the person in the story unsets the alarm, gets the rubbish thing out, and he's tiptoeing out. And as he's about to get it to the gate, he hears that, that fateful noise of the rubbish truck coming around the corner. Shh, you're like, oh, I've got to do this quickly. And you're sprinting there. And who knows what the person is wearing at 6.30 in the morning. But anyway, don't use your imagination. Please don't. This is church. And as they scamper outside with the bins, and they put the bins there, and then you see the rubbish truck go past. And you think, if I yell, my wife will hear hypothetical situation, could be anyone. And in that moment, you put the bins out and you go, maybe I should put it in my neighbor's bin and leave it there for them to deal with. These thoughts go through very unsaved, unsanctified people's heads. I know that, just hypothetical situation. But in the end, just leave the bin there and say, that's next week's problem. Get back in bed and the wife would turn over and say, love, did you manage to get the bins out? I got them out. I got them out. I say it as a silly joke, but actually we are experts at this. Not just in the natural, but actually in the spiritual, we're experts at delaying our obedience. We say things like, I'll give next month when I get that increase. We say things like, I'll confess next time when, when, I, when I've got more time to stick around. I'll, I'll pray for that person when there's not so many people around because I don't want it to get awkward. We are good at delayed obedience, but here's the thing. Delayed obedience is disobedience. This is how true Maturity is measured is how long is the delay before you obey. Secondly, about obedience. True obedience is not just immediate, it's complete. Often I'll say things like this. I'll obey, but only halfway. I met with a guy the other day. He said to me, Gabe, I know your story. I want to confess I've been struggling with porn addiction. I was like, Brew, well done for confessing. That's half the battle one. That's incredible. We want freedom for you. What, what are you going to do? And he says, you know, my big battles that I struggle on my smartphone. Whenever I go somewhere in the dark, my smartphone just, that seems to be the port of call for me. I don't know what to do. I said, do you want freedom? He said, yes. So I said to him, here's a suggestion. Why don't you sell that smartphone and buy yourself a Nokia 3310. Snake 2 is still quite cool on it. And it's a phone that's got phone calls and messages, but then you have no access to internet. You'll be safe. He said, oh, I, I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. Who, who will upload photos to Instagram? The people are desperate for my Instagram stories. They're not. Let me tell you, obedience doesn't look for a loophole, loophole or a technicality. Obedience is not trying to get around scriptures or trying to find a different version of scriptures that will make my, my lifestyle or my choices or my sin look a little bit better. True obedience is complete. It's immediate, it's complete. Finally, true obedience is costly. I've said this before. I'll obey so long as there's little price to pay. 
Maybe you've said these prayers, and I've prayed them before, but I've seen people cry. They go, God, use me. And three weeks later, they're going, I left that church because I felt used. Cool. Or somebody, I've heard somebody pray the prayer, Father, use me as a bridge for your gospel. You know what? It just feels like people are always walking all over me. Let me tell you today that true obedience is always costly. Stepping out is always costly. Bill Johnson says this way, I hesitate to warn of the cost of fully seeking his face, not because the price doesn't exist. It costs everything. I hesitate because the reality is that what a person gets in return makes the price we pay embarrassingly small by comparison. That's a great segue for me to tell you that obedience leads to future. Obedience is the seed that goes in the ground that trusts God. That actually, I can't manufacture this. I can't keep a hold of it, but I can't work the soil enough, but I can put the seed in the ground and I can trust that you're going to open up something bigger for me, God. Obedience always leads to future. I'll say it one more time in a different way. You have no idea what God can set into motion through one simple act of obedience. You have no idea, sir or ma'am, what God could set into motion through one simple act of obedience. Hebrews 11 verse 8 tells us, By faith Abraham obeyed. By faith Abraham obeyed and left the land that God called him to leave, to go to a land that he was unknown, that he had no clue about. But by faith Abraham obeyed and he left that land as Abraham and not knowing. He By faith he sowed seed on the soil and said, God, I'm trusting you. And just a few pages over, which was multiple years later, he becomes known as Abraham, the father of many nations. Because obedience always opens up future. I, t- I tell it this way practically often is as a, a young teenager wrestling myself with pornography addiction, not knowing how to get through the grip, out the grip of it, but saying, Father, God, I need, I want a big future for you. I want a big future. I want to live a big life, radical life for your gospel, praying those desperate prayers. And I remember praying that God would answer those prayers by me having this moment where it'd almost be like a zap from heaven. Boom. And I hit the floor and get up and go, lust is gone. I, I wanted that. I longed for that. And I pray, I honestly, I wish that I could actually line you all up now and go down the line and pray for you and say, what's your problem? You say, you mention your thing. I go, boom, and you, it was gone. You say, actually, this is my problem. Bam, and we could do it. It'll be short services. Can you imagine? Ten minutes. Up, 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 in and out. Coffee. Oh. The problem is when I pray that prayer, God, I want a big future for you. The father didn't answer with a power encounter. He answered with these words, follow me. Follow me which demanded a response. And in that moment, there was a response where I confessed my addiction. I born into the light and I started actually walking a road of freedom of following Jesus, of being obedient. And it was costly. Why? Because actually I had no clue what the future would look like. I wanted a big future, but I felt at that moment as I sowed that seed of faith that actually I was going, I feel like I'm disqualifying myself from the future. It feels other people are going to think differently from me. It feels like about me. It feels like people are going to shut doors, ministry doors on me because of this. Bring this into light. But actually, obedience always leads to future. I thank God for the people. There was two friends of Fiona's um, who led her to Christ on the field, a school field in, in George in her high school years. I praise God for them. Why? Because I can imagine they were people who probably, they were so petrified to talk to Fiona, who was the head girl of her school, to speak to her, to challenge her, to encourage her about Christ. But actually, I thank God for them because they probably could have made many excuses saying, it's a school field, people are watching. Should we do it? What will she think of us? There's no keyboard in the background making this a holy moment. 
But I thank God that they stepped on obedience because their obedience has had ramifications and ripples that have affected my life, my children's life, her family's life, this church's life, and has not stopped yet because obedience always leads to a bigger future. Point three this evening. Number one is lean in. Number two is step out. Number three, finally, is raise up. I love the scripture that Jesus says, come, follow me. And from the get-go, he says, and I'll make you fishes of men. From day one, he doesn't give you a course saying when you get to a certain level or when you get up to a point, then I'll give you something a little bit bigger. No, from day one, he says, this is not all about you. What I'm doing in your life, maturity means that's going to exponentially explode out of your life. I don't know about you, but uh, actually, um, I've, when I go to babies' parties, kids' parties, and you see a whole lot of kids in a little paddling pool, and they're splashing around with ankle-deep water. It's quite cute, in and out, in and out, and a lot of fun being had. It's cute and fun. Uh, it wouldn't be cute and fun if you suddenly saw the 45-year-old hairy man whip off his shirt put on a speedo and leap into the same paddling pool and start doing breaststroke. You wouldn't do that. You would say, kids, stranger danger out. It would be weird. Why? Because maturity has to take us on a journey that that grown man was not made for a paddling pool. He was made for the wide ocean. He was made for expand something bigger than himself. Maturity takes people on a journey. And too many Christians, unfortunately, are metaphorically that hairy man in the paddling pool because they will not move on to the big call of God in their life. It's not cute. Let me tell you, actually, in this way, with, with my daughter Olivia, it's, it's right and good that Fiona and I, as parents, our lives in this season revolve around Olivia. What I mean about that is when she cries, we should respond. As good parents, when Olivia is hungry, we should feed her. Actually, our routine, we, our lives are actually put, marked around, at loosely around her, her rhythms, her routines, when she eats, when she sleeps. It's right and good as a good parent for the season. It's good. The problem is if when she becomes a teenager, we're still running around and doing the same routines and doing the same things and actually pandering to every single need of hers, we haven't done our job. Sure, as a teenager, we'll go to, we'll give up some things. We'll go to dance recitals of hers. We'll, we'll go to her sport games. And actually, sometimes we'll ask her to go to bed at 8 o'clock so mom and dad can watch TV. Um, let me tell you that actually the job of us as parents is, yes, to go pa- to, to be support her, encourage her. But actually, our job is to equip her to actually become a contributor in the house, to start laying the table, to start making her bed, to start being a part of the family. And actually, our job is only complete when she herself becomes a parent and her life then now becomes sacrificial around her child's life. You see, that's the journey of maturity in the natural, but actually it's so much like that in the spiritual that actually Jesus called us to give our lives away for other people. That maturity journey actually is this, that actually maturity is shown when you are sowing into the soil of other people's lives. Maturity is shown when you're sowing into the soil of other people's lives. Let me mention it this way. In Ezekiel 47, we've been learning that actually there's a story of the river that's flowing from the throne of grace. There's this this dramatic picture that the prophet Ezekiel sees in the spiritual. And God leads him on the street and says, there's this, this, the river's flowing like a trickle from the throne of grace. And as he's led away from the temple, away from that throne, further out, it gets deeper and deeper. The further he goes away from it, the water gets deeper, ankle deep, knee deep, waist deep, until he's fully submerged. Now, why this is powerful for us is what we've been learning recently is actually depth in church is not measured by our Sunday meetings. 
The depth of maturity in believers is not determined by your radical experience or encounter of Jesus. Now, it's amazing to have that. That's why we love church on Sundays, for us to encounter God. That's incredible. For us to encounter Him, to worship Him, to hear the Word together. But actually, as we read Scripture, that actually our maturity is not shown on a Sunday. Maturity and growth is shown on what we do on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, when we walk away from the gathering and go into influential spaces. I want to say to you today, what are you doing with the seed God has given you. Let me tell you these stories as we land. There's a lady called Mary Yeager who leads the Life Kids Ministry at Milneson. And this incredible lady serves in that every week. We'll serve there. Some serves here in the evening service here with the kids as well. And we went to the call conference last weekend in Pretoria. And it felt like an opportunity for all of us just to ah, take a breather. Just worship and listen to the word being preached without any expectations. It's going to be quite nice. So I realized Mary had signed up to serve in the kids' ministry there. And I went up to her a little bit frustrated. Mary, you do this all the time. Why are you doing Don't you want to listen to sermons? She said, Gabe, I'll listen to the sermons in the week on the podcast. But actually, right now, I'm investing into the future. When I, when I heard her say that, I'm like, wow, you're a little bit more mature than I thought. Maybe you should be preaching. Let me tell you about another person, a young man called A.J. Nolan, who's in his mid to late 20s now. And this man, uh, A.J., has spent the majority of his, uh, of his 20s with all his, his leftover money, with all his excess cash, with his excess time, with his excess energy and resources, when everyone else's age is spending those things on, on misspent youths of saying, actually, it's my time to go and have fun, my time to go and jaw. Age has been spending most Friday nights filling his car with teenagers, picking them up from all the other areas of Tableview and Parklands and bringing them to youth on a Friday here and then filling his car again and dropping them off afterwards. I look at that man and I see a man who's full of maturity and who's seeing the bigger picture. I tell you another lady, a lady called Jeannie George, who hosts baby showers. Yesterday she hosted a baby shower of somebody who is 30, 40 years her junior. She opened a home to host a baby shower there. She hosts a life group most weeks, even when her husband has been going through heart operations. She keeps opening her home up. When everything inside of her should she be like, actually, I'm done doing this. It's the season's over. But this woman has seen something of God and goes, actually, maturity is not just leaning in. It's not just stepping out. It's actually sowing seeds into other people's lives. This is the gospel as we see it in our church play out. And I land with these three stories very quickly. I'm so grateful for in my life is that, um, it's dramatic. Tougher than, tougher than I thought. It's when I was in grade five, I, I was uh, still a young man who didn't really enjoy church. I went to children's church, uh, a little bit kicking and screaming. But I thank God there was a man named Jed Demblon who became, showed me what being a Christian could be cool. And he, he taught me the scriptures along with a whole bunch of other kids. And he, and, he, and, he, and he seemed to care and he seemed a little bit more than just doing the routine. He cared for us. Years went by, I became, went to high school. And first day of high school with my knees knocking with a 1,500 boy high school waiting ahead of me. Jed Deblon, who had gone to England and immigrated, and I had literally not really thought about it much since that year. I got a phone call that morning in, in Zimbabwe from Jed Deblon from overseas. He said, Gabe, just want to, I know day, today is day one of your high school. I want to tell you that I believe in the call that God's got for you. I believe that you are, you're not going to be overawed in the moment. I believe that you are actually not going to be a small fish in a big pond. God has called you to thrive there. And I, and I was just so blown away. Maybe I didn't understand at the time the seeds that were being sown in a young, fragile heart. But I thank God for that man who put confidence when everything else in me wanted to shrink back. I want to tell you again another time when I moved from Zimbabwe to Durban at age 15 with no friends, with insecurities running ravage, and with not knowing actually where I stood in this thing of the kingdom of God. I arrived at a youth group, and a friend of mine named Michael Siliers, who was 19 years old at the time, 
he came up to me and he saw this young guy and he said, Gabe, what are your hobbies? And I said, golf. And he said, me too, which I later found out was a lie. He was just finding something in common with a young 15-year-old just to be able to befriend him and bring him in. He went out and spent his spare money to buy golf clubs. He used to come and drive across town and pick me up when I had no other friends. He used to pick me up and take me golfing most weekends. So I found out very quickly that he was lying. But we became friends nonetheless. And I thank God for him because actually a man who could have been about so many other things saw it fit was actually my time, my resources are going to be about sowing seeds for this guy. And because of him, I stayed in that youth group. I met Christ and my life has never been the same again. I'll tell you one more story. When I, on my way to Cape Town, with my knees knocking again, leaving mom and dad, leaving the family for the first time to step out. I thought I heard God say, move to Cape Town. And I was nervous. Is this really you, God? Is this really you? Am I doing the right thing? And as I was about to leave, a family friend phoned from Durban and said, Gabe, before you go, we've got a gift for you. And they arrived at, at, our, at our house. I thought, this is great. And as they arrived, they said to me, this is the gift we've got for you. And he said, we believe in the call that God has gone in your life. And we believe you're going to be such a blessing in Cape Town. God's going to use you profoundly. He has a gift he got for you. And they gave me keys to my first car, their car that they gave away to me. They said, just take it. It's yours. We've changed it into your name. And I was so blown away. I thought I'd be riding a bike till I was 30. That's what I thought, a, a, a pedaling bike. <laughs> Let's be honest. And, and, and actually, these people lavishly sowed into my life. But more than just a physical gift. They put confidence in a young man's heart who was very desperate for the affirmation of God on this thing. I thank God for these people who sowed seeds in my life. You'll never hear them preach. They won't preach a sermon, but I promise you they've preached louder. Their actions have preached louder in my life and have influenced many because of them. And I pray that we'll become a church who do those things. A church who are raised up to lean into Him. A church who step out in obedience, but ultimately are giving our lives to raise up those around us and sow seeds into people's lives. Because actually, on the other side of that, people are waiting. And God is calling us to a bigger story. Can we stand to our feet this evening?